Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Shannon, your beer mistress. And I'm Jason. And today it is just the two of us, so the micro brew review is a little bit more like a fireside chat. Yes, it is. I came up with that name. I want credit for it. You deserve credit for it, but you deserve extra credit if this ends up being an entertaining podcast and not just the two of us trying to talk about beer for an hour. So originally we were actually going to be doing this in front of a fire, and then that kind of fell through. Well, I think we were afraid that all of the popping and the sounds in the background... Oh, I think that had ambiance, though. Ambiance? Yeah, I didn't pronounce it correctly, but yeah, we'll just keep moving on like that never happened. It didn't happen. Exactly. Um, okay, well, next time we have access to a fireplace, we will try a second fireside chat. Which would be a first one. Really. The first legit and not just in name only. Right. Okay. Yes. And maybe for the occasion we could do a smoky beer, like a nice Roche beer or something like that. Yeah. Are, are we trying to pair to the smoke of the fire now? Yeah, or I am. I'm sorry. I'm, okay. I'm really getting a little over the top, aren't I? Mm, I don't know. We'll see. If it's a new hit, new fad, then uh, you just have to trademark it or whatever it is. And Why not? I mean, if you're going to a beachside picnic, wouldn't you want a beer with a little saltiness to it? Do we know the difference between a trademark registered... And uh, whatever the other one is. What what other one? You mean like know. TM versus R in a circle? Yeah. Or, um, that's a really good point. I'm not sure. That's we'll your homework. Figure that out. <laughs> yeah, at some point. Basically, don't come up with any great ideas on air unless you're willing to follow through. So this is our Thanksgiving podcast. It is. Thanksgiving is in two days. And it's it's a big deal this year for me because I'm hosting Thanksgiving for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it's going to be about 12 people. Um, and how much beer pairing are we going to be doing? It said... Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's one of those where, in good news, it's not going to be a multi-course beer pairing dinner like Dashing Rogue does. So I'm very much used to having to, you know, slip into the kitchen to prepare six different courses. And because it's Thanksgiving, I don't really think that would fly. The family would get a little tired of me disappearing. So instead, um, I'm going to balance it out and do a little bit of my own personality. I have uh, some appetizers planned for when people are arriving because, you know, they never all seem to show up at the same time. And I've got like a first course soup. And then I just let a traditional Thanksgiving happen. Then I'll I'll stop making it complicated. Mm-hmm. Um now, my family, as we discussed way long ago, I believe in episode one, not really a drinking family. However, they're coming to my house, so <laughs> there will be beer and wine pairings available. And from everything that I've read, sommeliers consider Thanksgiving like one of the most difficult meals mm-hmm. to try to pair because, face it, it's all over the place. Yeah. No, mat- you, no matter what you do to turkey, it's probably dry and kind of bland. Um But then you have things as sweet as cranberry sauce and as spicy as stuffing. And then you might do... I don't know that I'd call it spicy, but heavy is it? Heavy, yeah. yeah. Whereas you might want like a light-bodied to match up with that sort of dry turkey. Right, but then what's that going to do against some candied yams or some garlic mashed potatoes or something like that? Yeah, Brussels sprouts. Oh, yeah. That's happening this year. I, I cannot wait to Brussels see their sprouts? faces. Yeah, I'm doing bacon Brussels sprouts. About 90% of the audience just cringed. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to say this. I've started to see it, and I recently read Brussels sprouts are coming back. I've actually heard them called the new hipster vegetable. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but Ian's not here, so I have, to, a, uh, yeah. I have mm-hmm. to take the hipster hit this time, I guess. But um, 
because they had such a reputation, you know, when we were growing up, our generation was like, Brussels sprouts, ew! But they were probably also canned or frozen or just disgusting, you know? slimy. Yeah, exactly. I don't like that. I cannot order them out for the most part because generally they're going to show up in like a soup and it's really... So what beers can you end up pairing with Thanksgiving or is it really dependent upon what you have? Because a lot of folks do ham and all that now, don't they? Or am I think I'm thinking Easter. I think you're thinking Easter or Christmas. I mean, Christmas can go anyway. People can do duck, turkey, ham, turducken even. Um, we had filet one year. Some, oh, what's the slow roasted steak that takes all day to cook? It was so delicious. Um, yeah, you're, you're the food person. <laughs> I'm the good looks. Uh, but now I'm stuck on bacon Brussels sprouts and I can't think ahead. Um, it'll come to me in the middle of three minutes from now so i'm sorry when i yell out a cut of meat but anyway um primarily t- turkey is still the thanksgiving right uh, people who don't eat turkey any other time will at least suck it up and eat turkey this one time of year so in terms of pairing what you're going for is a beer that is broad uh, a beer that is not so overpowering in any one flavor um, that it's going to cancel out the beautiful bouquet that is going on on your thanksgiving table so you call it a bouquet but then you also said turkey was boring and the rest of the things didn't seem all that varied maybe i'm a traditionalist but my my plan right now is to do a brined herb rubbed turkey so i'm gonna put as much flavor in there as i can gosh darn it i'm even going to inject uh, under the skin a nice marinade as it's cooking to try to keep it tender and keep it i really don't like to stuff my turkey just i don't like stuffing to me if it's called stuffing or filling it's not it's obviously just an add-on and therefore it's not really my speed now i was told that if i don't offer stuffing my family will rebel but anyway um so turkey for sure and i'm gonna do a sour cream garlic whipped potatoes Mm -hmm. um baked corn bacon brussels sprouts, um, some gravy, and uh, I have a a homemade cranberry sauce recipe that I happen to think is quite fantastic. And then what I'm going to do is break out and make that first course that I was talking about when people are arriving and kind of nibbling. That's when I'm going to do some sweet potato chips with some melted blue cheese on top. That way they're still getting their sweet potatoes, but they're not candied and all. I don't like, it's just all and I'm sure those of you who love yams are dying right now, but that's just my speed. And um, for the stuffing, since, you know, we're kind of fighting this battle, I'm going to take mushroom caps and stuff them with sausage and um, more traditional bread stuffing and serve it that way. So they're still getting all of their traditional foods, just maybe in a a more fun and modern way. Okay, so from a beer perspective, how are we going to be doing this? I have selected today as our feature beer one that I have chosen. Um, From the research that I have done, one of the best beers that you can do is a French beer called Beer de Garde. I don't know how to say it for sure. Okay. But um, I don't really, even when I go to the really great beer stores or bottle shops that I have found, they don't really have a shelf of Beer de Garde. Like it's definitely something that you'd have to seek out, talk to the guy, go on over and he'll show you, you know, the five or six that they have to choose from. 
What I picked today is a beer that is made in Kansas City, Missouri. So Central Central America, not exactly the typical regions that we've been talking about. We talk a lot of East Coast, West Coast, um, Belgium, but we really haven't... East Coast, West Coast, Belgium. Exactly. Belgium is just like California. Just mm-hmm. like... Um, I just... Sorry, I was going over major regions of of beer manufacture. And so you don't always think Kansas City, maybe. But uh, today I picked something from Boulevard Brewing Company in Kansas City that is a farmhouse ale. And it has a lot of similar flavors to Beer de Garde, but it's a lot easier to find, in my opinion. I guess it depends on where you are. If you're in Belgium, this might not be the one you choose. But uh, it's called Tank 7 Farmhouse Ale. And if you go on their website and read the lore, apparently every brewery has one tank that just seems to be the cursed tank like nothing ever goes right or as soon as they're trying to you know get it out of the tank and into the bottles it always spills or things just go awry um and they tried making every kind of beer possible in tank seven and it never ever worked until they made this farmhouse ale and something just clicked and that is all they make in tank seven now they're superstitious about it um so a farmhouse is this something all breweries tend to have or is it just i have never heard of it before but also, I don't. We have not really had the chance to speak to a lot of large-scale brewers, um, which I've got a few things in the works. Not gonna lie, I have a few places who have invited us, and I've, I've just got to try to get us there. So we that might be a great question for us to ask when we're out there. But from reading online, um, from Boulevard Brewing Company's website, they say yes. Every major brewery sort of has one tank that causes them problems. So they took that and turned it around and made it into something delicious okay so we're trying it now um how is this going to stand up to all the stuff that we're trying to pair it with i mean is this something where we're actually just going to be doing one beer through the whole i mean this is going to be very awkward with your family on how this is going to (laughs) work thank you for realizing that yeah i'm not entirely certain what i was thinking but um i i'm going to have one beer for dinner i'm going to have a second beer for dessert just realistically even though this is a really well-rounded beer and able to balance out a lot of different flavors i don't know that some of the really sweet things my family loves pecan pie there's gonna have to be a pumpkin pie with ice cream on top and i'm thinking i'm going to do uh, my butterscotch whiskey cake Mm-hmm. So at least two of those, super, super sweet. And so I, I really don't think that this is the beer that I would put with them. But for the main course itself, for the, you know, what I like to call the welcome beer, the thing to sip at, well, people, maybe I'll be the only one being welcomed and having the beer at that point in time. But uh, at the same time, since my family is not a drinking family, not a beer family, I think that this is an approachable beverage. I'm not putting, you know, a Bud Light on the table and saying, Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm giving them flavor at the same time. I think that I'm pairing with their dinner. Look, you can actually see some of the spices down in it if you look. It is cloudy, um, but I like that it's almost like there's a little cinnamon and nutmeg and stuff in there. But it's not Christmassy. Did you taste it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you think? I think it's all right. I don't know that I would really praise it a ton okay um that's hilarious because it's rated 91 on beer advocate yeah not exceptional for the style not really my style of beer i guess that could be um i'm an ipa stout person well and you know what you like right 
and that's that's awesome so let's go that kind of goes back to what you were saying before okay so we've got this you're saying that we need to have a robust and you know a beer that can pair with a whole bunch of different things abroad i think is the term you used beer yes um what are there any styles i guess that really match up to that particularly well because ipa is awesome but i don't know that you could call no all ipas you know broad no i personally would not go with an ipa for this kind of dinner because the hops is even in a mild ipa i mean you could go with an ale probably I found a good American ale, something a little tamer on the hops so that it doesn't have that really bitter bite, uh, and you're good. You definitely want something more, you're going to laugh when I say it, effervescent. And yes, I know, beer is carbonated. However, um, especially Thanksgiving, people think big meal. You know, they, they know they're, they better be wearing their adjustable belt pants or, or a nice... Um, stretch waist something because they know they're sitting down to eat a big meal and the difference in that regard between beer and wine is the wine coats your tongue and you're not going to get to taste the next bite for what it is but you want a good bubbly beer that's going to clean your palate and let you accept whatever the next bite is throwing you i feel like when you're saying effervescent you're actually saying like a crisp light beer but because, i'm not i mean i know because what you're like hearing. mad elf is effervescent <laughs> if you look at mad elf for what it is but it's not light and it's not crisp and i don't know that you would when i when i say when i think bubbles what i'm meaning maybe it's just not coming across right you don't want to cast conditioned ale <clears throat> obviously those are those are we talked about those as being the best chance you've got for not burping because of beer because they just don't have that same carbonation to them you're probably not going to want a stout Um, there might be a great chocolate stout or coffee stout to incorporate as dessert as we were just talking about but that's different than finding something to balance an entire meal Um, what I mean is a nice zippy ale and that doesn't have to be a pilsner Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm getting too technical and I feel like you're overthinking it because you have to go back to drink what you like. Just being a guy who likes stout and likes hoppy IPAs understand, number one, a table full of people who aren't beer drinkers are probably going to be put off by some stronger, you know. Super high alcohol content. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you're not used to beer or not used to craft beer, you know, you go and you try a hop slam or a double Simcoe, or something that's really strong in the hops, and that's going to be too bitter, and you're not going to be tasting. I mean, can you imagine a very, I mean, I'm going to say that I have faith that my turkey is not going to be bland and boring, but ask me in two days. I don't know yet. Um, I could do everything in the world to it, and it could still be bland and boring. Do you want to offset that very mild turkey with a punch of hops? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> you want hops always, don't you? Well, it's just, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about what you're saying. And I'd say back when I wasn't really a big beer drinker, I had Hop Slam, Bell's Hop Slam. And th- I feel like that is the beer that sold me on craft brews because it was just very floral and I was getting all of those flavors coming out of it. And it is something that, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's a gateway beer in that way, you know? 
It is, but it isn't. It's a bold beer. It is definitely a citrusy hops double IPA. Yeah. Um, like Weyerbacher's, Weyerbacher's double Simcoe is made with um, more bittering hops. So I'm wondering how you would feel about something like that if you would feel the same way. Yeah. Um, I love citrus hops. There's just something about the, the Centennial. There's something about the... Now I can't think of anything else. <laughs> um, but it just really... To me, I'm getting more flavor bang for my hop buck, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because it's not just a bittering agent. Um, so, okay. Uh, I want to follow up with another question. Okay. Why aren't we drinking Mad Elf? <laughs> Is it just the high alcohol content? Oh, you mean why aren't we drinking it right now or no, with Thanksgiving no, dinner? with the Thanksgiving dinner. Because you've got the cranberries, you've got some of that, you know, um, harvest fruit flavor. And I feel like Mad Elf would complement that very well. I'm going to look across the table at you right now and I'm going to say this and then I'm going to duck. We could absolutely drink Mad Elf. <laughs> Is it really just the... Just because you don't want to serve something that high alcohol content to your family or um it's a couple different things partially it's i'm biased and i think christmas when i think that there's no reason i would have to because face it a lot of the foods that appear on your thanksgiving table are also going to appear on your um, christmas dinner it is high alcohol however the one we're drinking right now is eight percent mad elf's not that far off of that Mm mm-hmm and there's no reason why you couldn't have one round of Mad Elf. You know, you don't have to sit and drink it for three hours while you both enjoy dinner and then sit down and watch football or play games or whatever it is that your family does after Thanksgiving. Oh, we got to get the cards out. I forgot. Yes. Canasta is probably going to be happening. <laughs> My family doesn't do much, but they play Canasta. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's going to have to brush up. Um, so, okay, so let's say we do the farmhouse ale for the Thanksgiving, the full-on dinner. Okay. For dessert, I would think, is when we would pull out the other beer, kind of as you're saying. Right. Would you go with, like, a Mad Elf or a Rogue Chocolate Stout or Java Stout? This is where I would say Southern Tier shines. I yeah, think that a I lot agree. of their winter seasonals are fantastic. Uh, right now on our Facebook page, we've got a thread going asking people what their favorite winter beer is and the two... Two biggest answers at this point in time are Mad Elf and Southern Tears Creme Brulee Stout. Yeah. Um, creme, I don't know that the Creme Brulee would work. I think it would be... I think it is a dessert in a glass, and you yeah. don't need to pair it with dessert. Yeah. But... The Chocolate Stout would go really well with the pumpkin pie, though. There, The Chocolate Stout would go well with that. I think it would go well with the Butterscotch Whiskey Cake, too, um, because the chocolate is a dark chocolate, so the bitter of the chocolate with the sweetness of the cake, I think, would go pretty well, because that has a caramel drizzle on top. Oh caramel i'm trying to be cultured I'm trying i'm failing i said pecan pie i didn't really mean it we I, say pe- i say caramel i don't care we say pecan pie where i'm from but i'm trying to pecan pie grow my worldliness i don't know it's- i say envelope <laughs> and auntie Anne's pretzels yeah i don't know how that happened yeah <laughs> um so yes, I'm going to say yes to the to the double chocolate stout by Southern Tier. I'm going to say yes to the Java stout that we did on that breakfast beer podcast. I thought that had a lot of... Because, and I'll tell you what, my family might not be drinkers, but they love black coffee with dessert. So if you could take anything, even that old Rasputin, or really, I mean, face it, now is when people are putting out their put hair on your chest stouts. This is the perfect time to 
grab a new stout and try it out. Um, I like imperial stouts better. I happen to think that they're a little blacker. You can't quite see through them. It's just like an imperial IPA. You've got more flavor going on. Um, but yeah, even I'm going to say even if you don't want to serve beer with your meal, go ahead and try a dessert beer with dessert because people might be a little bolder if it's just, you know, a lot of times dessert beers, higher ABV, stronger flavors, you can serve it in a champagne glass. You can put it in something that's a small serving. So it's not as intimidating. Mm-hmm. I got to admit that I'm just looking forward to having the wine or the um, ice bucket. We have a freestanding ice bucket that's silver and pretty next to the table and having both beer and wine stuck down in it. Yeah. We'll see how that goes with your family. I'll be interested to uh, see <laughs> I'll report how this plays in afterwards, out. friends, and I will let you know how this goes, whether mm-hmm. or not I've been disowned or if they have an intervention about my new beer business. It might happen. So this is going to be a little bit tricky because to break the fourth wall, we're recording this, what, a week in a little bit before? Well, I know, but you said two days earlier... So it's going to be at least a week after Thanksgiving that we're going to be able to report back on that. Yes. Uh, those are your, that's your angry face. <laughs> <laughs> you were not ready to break the fourth wall. <laughs> this is funny because we're not really in any walls here. We are just the voice of... <laughs> we're outside right now. We're the voice of God coming down in your car as you're driving to work talking to you about beer. So there's no really walls that we're breaking. But yeah, in terms, blasphemy. Of, in terms of the illusion... <laughs> My family's already praying for me. Don't make this work. <laughs> um, in terms of the illusion of you'll have to ask us after, yes, it's going to be at least another week until you hear about how Thanksgiving went. Um, but you have a week. So if you would like to write in with any advice about how to <laughs> subtly incorporate beer into a family gathering where maybe it's not typically welcome, I I am more than open to op- to hearing what you've got to say. Yep. I feel I feel like this was the beer mistress's monologuing about holidays. Well, more about just Thanksgiving, though, right? I mean, once you start getting into Christmas, um, I don't know. Can you really do light beer with Christmas, though? I feel like you have to do something like Mad Elf to pair it at that point. <laughs> We're just going to show Am up. Am I really Christmas, just a proponent for Mad that's Elf? That's all I'm that, hearing you, you say. That's, well, and chocolate stout. I got Southern Tear in there too. There you do. Um. We are very excited, going to tell you this as a teaser, not going to ruin it, I hope, uh, going to Trogues in early December for a tour, and uh, we're very excited. Actually, Ian asked me today if we could call ahead and order 10 cases of Mad Elf, because everyone we know wants one, and uh, it seems way better than driving to the beer store and just loading up the car with cases of beer. At what point do you become a distributor? <laughs> I know, that's what I said. I was like, well, let me look into the feasibility of that before I call and get laughed at on the other end of the phone by the yeah. people at Trogues. Um, I think his... Well, a friend of mine used to work at a wine shop, and he... And this was in Pennsylvania, so he knows the laws and whatever. But he said, if you want more than two cases of something, you can call up to the brewery and let them know and... At least in his experience with Trogues, they will give it to you at least like a 15% discount. You can just come get it as opposed to them having to pay someone to, you know, drive it out to the beer store and then mark it up and all of that. Whether or not that is true, I have never tried it. I intend to try it and probably try it with Mad Elf. However, two cases versus 10 cases, like I better call the credit card company first and ask for an expansion on my limit because that's <laughs> a little crazy. 
<clears throat> yeah, because those are expensive. Yeah, I mean, that's something, and I'm sure this will come up after the Trogues visit when we probably, at that point, will highlight Mad Elf this year because we have talked about it now for 12 different episodes and you're like, gosh darn it, people, get over it. But if you've had it, you'll understand why we're not getting over it. It's Okay, so yeah, I'll leave that for the Mad Elf podcast. <laughs> the aging question. That's that's exactly where I was going with it, so you didn't interrupt it. But that's why we need so many cases, because we have a case to drink this year, but we also keep an a-, a case to age. And that's something important to do. I absolutely recommend it. You guys have already heard about my guest shower and why it's just a great place for beer um, and, and why I <laughs> aged it in there. <laughs> Oh, man. If you don't know the backstory, that sounds... And if you don't know the backstory, I think go to episode seven. That's where the truth of that comes out. But there are certain beers that you can age and certain beers that you should not. And you should definitely do a little research. If you love a beer, um, just do a couple internet searches before you decide to buy a couple cases and age it because some just should not. We learned that with Jason's Hop Slam. As he said, it was his epiphany beer as i like to call it and some years it's harder to come by than others but he rationed one bottle for six or eight months this year i guess one bottle yeah you had well you had five and you slowly drank all of them but then you kept one yeah i just saved the bottle yeah and we had one bottle that we saved for like eight months and then lo and behold we finally got really giddy and popped it open while ian was visiting and it was just it was not all that we talked it up to be, and it's because that particular beer is not meant to be aged. That's the same with Pliny, right? It's absolutely true with Pliny. And I had Pliny uh, a couple weeks ago when I was at the bar crawl that we were telling you guys about the other week. It was the first place I went, and I was really gun-shy. I didn't know this bar super well. Hadn't been there, but other friends who had said that it was good, and I looked up at their, you know chalkboard menu and the first thing on it was Pliny the Elder and I looked at the 25 people who were with me at that point and asked what everybody had to start the day and nobody had tried the Pliny and I'm sure that if you don't know beer it's a very random name it is not something that's going to draw you in and nor is it descriptive you know creme brulee stout double chocolate stout you know imperial pumpkin ale you know what you're getting when you order it mad elf Oh my, oh my. I feel like it's a southern tier thing, though. I feel like they name theirs very easy to understand. And Hopsy beers do something somewhat similar. And that's something I was really surprised, maybe not surprised about, but something that uh, struck me with Verlin when we were brewing with him and he was talking about one of his beers and what he was going to name it. Uh, and he was really having a lot of hard, uh, a lot of trouble coming up with an appropriate name for the level of hopsiness because um, things like Hop Monster, okay, you expect that hop to really hit you based off of the name of the beer. Um, but he's like, oh, it's a little bit more subtle than that, so I want to you know, adjust the name uh, to fit that. And I just think it's really interesting that there's that much thought going into it, and it really shows a, a caring for, uh, for what the microbrew folks and uh, homebrew folks are doing. Well, and it's twofold, though, because Monster could mean two things, and it could mean the level of hops that you're about to experience when you sip it, it could also mean the ABV because a lot of imperial style beers just have really high ABVs. Yeah. Um, a really interesting, if you 
If you guys are interested in naming conventions or just sort of the gypsy brewers and how they get by, uh, look into a little bit more about Evil Twin Brewing Company. Um, it is the twin brother of McKellar. They're from Denmark. I went to a class uh, in downtown Philadelphia that this guy taught, and he does not believe in traditional naming conventions at all. His stuff has the most off-the-wall names. If he gets like fan letters that have good quotes in them, he'll just pull out three words in a row from the letter and make a beer called that. Like you never you have to read the label to find out what the beer is about because, you know, two headed goat is not gonna tell you anything about what mm-hmm. to expect in the bottle. Um, but it is a hoot and a half if you wanna, you know, have a tasting party or you wanna just I like his stuff. I would be willing to just order an evil twin beer off the menu not knowing the style and hope. I think I tried eight of his beers that night and there was only one that I did not enjoy. And that was, it was a super blonde, like German style champagne-y. It was, it was just not for me. Uh, but it was another good example of that style of beer. Um, doesn't um, Flying Dog have something similar? That their naming convention isn't really, I mean, I know their artwork is very they non-conventional, but their names too. all after the dogs. Like they actually have a beer pardon me, censors of the world that don't exist, but they have a beer called Crotch-Sniffing Bastard. And it sounds terrible, but it's also... It's like English class. You can say it as long as you're quoting. (laughs) Right. And they have a Raging Bitch, which is a delicious beer. Um, But, you know, they incorporate the dog or the dog convention into the naming of their beers because it's a flying dog. Gonna say, folks... We tried. We were going to go to Flying Dog this weekend um, just to do a tour and a tasting and and have something to tell you guys about because it's not super far from here. And a lot of local breweries that you go on their website to buy tickets in advance or even if it's free, reserve tickets in advance for their tours sold out up to three months in advance on the weekends. Mm -hmm. So I guess that it's really catching on as a fun thing to do, especially I'm sure winter weekends when there's nothing going on. But plan ahead. I do not think that I realized how tough it would be to come across a ticket for that. At the same time, if it's free or cheap and you're getting a whole lot of beer out of it, you know, and some of them are really, they take it seriously. They want to make sure you have a great experience. So they only have slots for like 10 people. So of course they're going to sell out fast. Um, I guess I was just surprised because when, when I went to Harpoon in Boston, I just showed up on a Saturday morning. Now I went to like the first tour of the day, which was at nine o'clock in the morning, but there was a group of 12 of us girls and we just walked right up, gave our $5 and went in, um, without thinking ahead. But at the same time, that was probably four years ago and craft beer is really catching on. So So there's another, another question. I'm kind of going backwards now to the previous, previous stuff with Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving beer. Okay. So we're going to be doing, are we actually for sure doing this tank seven farmhouse for the thanksgiving beer no okay we have two days to change our minds okay <laughs> um so if we're doing that and we do either mad elf or a uh, chocolate stout or something like that java stout for the uh dessert mm-hmm. what are we going to be drinking during canasta probably water knowing my family Right, but let's say that we choose something else. This isn't. This is a post meal. This is something that really doesn't get talked about at all on the podcast. I don't think is okay. How about beers that don't necessarily pair, that just are really good on their own? 
Well, we mentioned creme brulee a little bit today about, you know, I'm good. Um, a creme brulee stout being good for uh, just drinking on its own. It's kind right. of a dessert beer. So what do we choose for something to just to drink on its own? Well, at that point in time, especially with the beer closet that I'm working with, I would just let it open to the guest for them to pick whatever they enjoy. That being said, if you want to have a few things on hand that you, you know, have chilled and recommend, um, that is the point in time which I either go more sweet, like the creme brulee, uh, like your lambics, you know, the framboise and stuff, because what raspberry, you know, what are you going to pair that raspberry with? It's so strong. Um, and that's another good way. Let's say it's not even an after dessert thing. Let's just say somebody is looking to just have a beer, like just sitting there drinking without having to pair it or anything like that. Then drink whatever beer you want. Why does it have to be difficult? I'm just wondering if there are beers that do better at pairing versus just doing well on their own. Like take a pale ale, for example. I don't really feel like a pale ale is on its own going to be this is personal i guess but uh, on its own is going to hold up as well as something with a lot more flavor it goes well when you need to pair it with something where you're kind of you want that crispness and that effervescence that you mentioned before um you're saying pale ale and i'm thinking big messy burger with avocado and bacon and melted cheddar exactly cheese. but then take the take the burger with the melted cheddar cheese and all that stuff out of the equation pale ale on its own i don't really feel like stands up as much unless it's a hot summer day and you're outside sweating and you want that crispness i don't like the outside i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) i don't i understand what you're getting at and yes there are beers that maybe do not pair as well um i know we talked about what we called the bacon beer the other week uh that was (laughs) basically well i yeah, for example, when we had our first podcast ever, when we did the Rogue Voodoo Donut. Yeah. It was sweet. It was bacony. It was smoky. What what in that flavor profile made you think, oh, gee whiz, if only I had a soft pretzel with this, I'd be set. You know, it's if you really enjoy those flavors in a beer, you're probably not going to need something to pair with it. Just drink it on its own and have it. Yeah. Is the Voodoo, I forget. Uh, is the Voodoo Donut the same one as the bacon? Well, the bacon beer we talked about the other week was um, when it was me, Ian, and Max. And that was, we had it, it was a Rausch beer that was uh, a surprise that the bartender um, brought to Ian when he said, hey, bring me one that's kind of unique. And it's uh, the Rausch beers are just smoky. It's the best way I have to describe them. Um, Victory Brewing Company has one that... I don't remember what theirs is called off the top of my head, but I was there the other winter and it blew my mind. I could not drink it. And you know me, I will, I will find a way versus wasted. I will find a way to sip at any beer. Um, but that one to me was like sitting in the middle of a campfire and drinking beer. Like I could not, I kept wanting to that smell my painful. yeah. Well, I kept wanting to smell my hair because I kept thinking that there, there it was just so smoky. And yes, I love beef jerky and its smokiness, and I love bacon and its smokiness. But that does not mean that I need that much liquid smoke in my beer. Like it was just overwhelming to me. It did not taste like beer. 
So when I say bacon beer, a lot of times what I mean is like a smoky beer because that's that's what you pick up. So not one that's infused with the bacon flavor. With bacon, flavor. not necessarily. Yeah. There are very, very few beers that I have seen infused with bacon. Um, some of them are very popular. There's one online that's a bacon stout that I have made it sort of a personal goal to find because it's been very well received among its bacon-loving fans. But I haven't found it yet, so I haven't gotten to try it. But other than that, no, bacon beer is super rare. Uh, I think just because bacon is such a strong flavor, yeah. you're going to have trouble balancing it with other flavors that you want to put in the beer. And it is kind of weird to drink bacon, as yeah. I found from some of the other stuff. It's some of what some of the draw is the consistency. Max was petitioning the USDA the other week to try to get them to consider bacon as its own food group. How'd that go over? Um, it explains why his girlfriend thinks he doesn't need enough vegetables. <laughs> it is amazing. Yeah. I love me good. some bacon, but I only want it as bacon. I, I mean, and I know that I'm the one who said I'm making bacon Brussels sprouts, but that's also to try to sell the Brussels sprouts to a non-Brussels sprout crowd, mm, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's more for me in that case about the bacon fat. You know, I could cook them, cook them in duck fat too, but then my family would look at me like, where did you, where did you get duck fat? And the answer was the fridge section at the grocery store, but they don't, you know. Yeah. So I think this is a productive fireside chat. I think so too. Um, I do want to say some awesome feedback that we've been getting online. Um, Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash dashing rogue. We've gotten some really good conversations going with listeners of the podcast and people who visit our website and they have been giving us some great tips about uh, beers they heard that are good that they would love to hear our reviews of and we had one question from Nora and if you remember it's actually the same Nora who asked how she can start to like IPAs so that was a couple months ago now she's been uh, branching out and trying new things and we're really proud of her but she listens to our podcast regularly she had a really good question that I wanted to go over with you um, for both Jason's sake and our listeners sake Uh, But Nora wanted to know if we look at the ratings before or after we buy a beer. Uh, Because so often while we're on the air here, we talk to you about the beer we're drinking and then how it was rated. Don't you normally do it in the store? I feel like you look at a beer and then you look it up up on your phone and go from there. Is that how you tend to do it or not as much anymore? I know this answer will not thrill you, but it depends. Um, Yes, sometimes. If... If a beer is really, really well rated, and when I'm going to say that, I'm going to say, in my experience, 85 or above, 85 out of 100, um, the beer stores that I go to highlight that fact. So it is easier to know at least what is more of a run-of-the-mill beer versus what is a well-reviewed beer. Yeah. Um, so obviously, it sort of catches my attention a little faster if it's something that's 85 or above. At the same time, it, it also depends on what rating convention you're looking at. And um, say we talk about Beer Advocate a lot. Well, if you've ever loaded a, a beer on Beer Advocate to look at the reviews, you'll see that there are two different numbers. There is a, a experts score and a bros score. Um, the bros are just folks like you and me who happen to pop open a bottle. So I could go on right now and say Tank 7 Farmhouse Ale. That's what I had today. This was the kind of bottle it came in. I poured it into this kind of glass and then describe, you know, the look, the smell, the taste, and then give it a rating. So they take the conglomerate of all of the Joe Schmoes in the world and put that up as one rating. But then the beer advocate experts 
also weigh in on the beer. And sometimes they can be as much as 10 points apart. So that's pretty significant. Yeah. Um, certain things really seem to catch on and explode with the public. And even though it might not be a great beer, it became the in thing. So everybody wanted to review it and everybody wanted to say how great it was, even if the experts might be like, yeah, I don't know what you're getting at. Um, at the same time, how many beers are there in the world? So a lot of times there might be a page for a beer that the public is starting to review, but the experts haven't gotten the chance to review. Um, I take those reviews with a grain of salt. Really? Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I, how many times can I say at the same time? I, I'm doing many things at once. I'm a multitasker. But the other thing I think about that is awesome. If I load a page, a review page that has a couple reviews, no picture, and no expert review, I'm super duper excited because to me that means it's a new beer. Yeah. So I want, I'm more likely to buy it even if the reviews are bad because I just want to know what it's all about. So moral of the story, Nora. Um, I am nothing if not thrifty. So if it is a style of beer that I like and the price is, seems pretty affordable, even if I don't know the reviews, I'm likely to pick one up just to see what it's all about. Um, if I Which am, is a benefit that we have here because you can't do that in a lot of places in Pennsylvania, for just example. Just pick one up, you mean. Right, yeah. Yes. It's, I mean, you can go into like pizza place, the Pinocchios that we go to and all that where they have the whole wall of them. Um, it's starting but, to get better. I'm finding that maybe one out of every six towns is starting to get a bottle shop in Pennsylvania in the more populated areas. You know, yeah. the rural areas, it's a, it's a little tougher. Uh, but it's definitely worth it if you can try it. Um, if I am having a dinner or a barbecue or an event where I am planning out a menu that I care strongly about the pairings, what I usually do is create my menu first and then figure out the style of beer that I want to go with that. And then I'll go on those rating sites and pick maybe three of the top ten that I know that I've tried or that are well-reviewed and put them on my radar when I go shopping and look for one of those. Now, that's where it's good to have a very positive relationship with your local beer seller because I can go into Andy and I can say, here's my menu, here's what I think. What do you think? And a couple of times he's actually downsold me, you know, to a less expensive beer that he feels is better quality. And that's awesome because when you're talking, you know, beer for 30 people, yeah. it's very, very helpful. Yeah. I'm going to get some glasses too that'll fit that. We need to get some of the smaller ones. Yeah. I think a good five, six ounce pour is is a good sample taste. But if you're eating... Right. Because you know, I mean, when you're doing so many different courses with it and they're small courses, you don't want to... Or smaller than a full course, because you're going to get full so ridiculously fast. Yes. It's good to have less per. We learned that after our first beer dinner. Yeah. We threw one six-course dinner with four full courses and a dessert and an appetizer. And yeah. was, people were like, this is so delicious, I cannot eat another bite. But there are four more courses. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you should have run a marathon this morning, because I was going to load you up with beer and food right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have any other questions, you can always visit us on Facebook. Um, you can email me at beermistress at dashingrogue.com. Or you can always follow me on Twitter at beermistress. Please write us on iTunes. Getting those nice four and five star ratings gets us uh, more recognition and uh, that would be great. And if you have feedback for us that you think will help improve the podcast, we would love to hear from you. 
Until next time, I'm Shannon. And I'm Jason. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.